What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ferraro, and with us again, Ace Watana Suparp. How are you? I'm doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I want to get right into it, but for those who don't know who Ace is, you should. Uh, Senior uh, VP of Strategic Sales for Citizens Bank, and we have a whole episode that we did on Ace, his career, where he's going, what he's been doing, all of his... uh, entrepreneurial stuff. Um, check that out. That's also on my YouTube. Um, but uh, you should absolutely learn a little bit more about ACE. But ACE, we're here to talk about what is going on with interest rates, what's going on in the economy, what's happening. I know you're a New York City guy. So let's just jump into it. it rates just went up for the first time in a long time. Um, it's been getting crazy. Let's talk about residential. Let's talk about commercial. What do we need to know? Yeah, definitely, Mike. I mean, look, it's been the uh, topic of discussion, it seems like, for the last two weeks, right? Everybody's in this sort of whirlwind craze of rates being at at the 5% level for the first time in many, many years. You know, the pandemic gave us a little bit of of life in regards to rates, right? Uh, Seeing a 30-year fixed rate at 2.75 for the last two years during the pandemic has bowled well uh, for the real estate community and, and folks looking to buy. But now with inventory challenges and prices continue to go up and now rates going up to the 5% mark, when you have this shift from 3% to 5%, there's just something to be said about that psychological warfare that buyers are going through. Like, wait a minute, you know, I don't have my rate at the 3% range. So it's, it's definitely building a little bit of angst and a little bit of just nervousness, right, in terms of, okay, if I'm a first-time buyer... I'm already competing with these high price points or even sometimes overbidding of of uh, price wars in the marketplace. And now you couple it with increase, um, uh, increasing rate environment. It's definitely going to affect the real estate market a, a tad bit. Right. I think inventory, as long as it continues to be low, we're still going to see competitive pricing. Um, but don't be surprised if it shifts to a buyer's market. Um, sometime towards the latter part of this year, Michael. You know, there's a lot of talks about the Federal Reserve not purchasing mortgage-backed securities anymore. Um, so that poses wow. a, uh, a challenge in terms of the uh, liquidity marketplace and the secondary markets. So that's going to affect long-term rates. You have inflation uh, right now that's at an all-time high at 7%. Uh, we're, the Federal Reserve is trying to combat that by continue to increase rates. And if they increase it too fast, which people are talking about, we might um, sort of see ourselves in a uh, mini recession. So look, I think for our listeners with inflation, where it is today, it's important for them to know how critical it is to invest your money, right? Whether it's in real estate, whether it's in stocks, whether it's in crypto, your dollar the value of that dollar is going down day by day, Mike. So uh, it's it's interesting to see the supply chain issues, uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine affecting um, supply chains and across, you know, I, I think today's economy, we're so interconnected globally that it is uh, affecting the economy in, in all different uh, types of ways, for sure. All right, let me give you some scenarios. You tell me what you would advise. Um, yes. I own a house. All right, we're on the clock. <laughs> Let's go. Point, right? I'm on the hot seat. I own a house. Uh, and I have good equity, whether it's a house, let's say it's a condo or it's an apartment in the city, whatever. And I got good equity. The market's been good to me. I bought it uh, before all this craziness. Um, 
do I, with the rates where they are, cash out refi, right? And put it into another property or do I sit on that property? Meaning, um, and my biggest concern being, well, I'm now putting my money, yeah, I'm getting my money out to roll it into a bigger property. Awesome, but at the same time, I now got this higher interest rate. Do I wait for the rate to come down or what do I do? So look, we never have a crystal ball and it's a great question that you pose, right, Mike? I think in today's marketplace, a lot of people are actually taking advantage of what you just said. Because inventory has been a challenge, they're like, okay, if I sell my home, I may not even be able to buy another home to replace my home, right? So what they're doing is because of the sort of steady equity increase in their homes, they're, they're having a lot a, a lot more ways to leverage their, um, their finances, meaning they're able to tap into the equity that they built throughout the years. And now they can utilize it to either purchase a second home, purchase an investment property. And although their rate on the cash out may be a little bit higher than their original rate, it's still a lot cheaper than taking out a personal loan or taking out a loan against your credit cards, right? So that's something that we're seeing more and more. And it's a it's a common thing that we're seeing here on the bank side. And I think it's smart. I, I think, you know, right now you, we talk about rates being in the 5% range and everybody's going crazy that it's so high. And, you know, we were seeing 3% rates. But if you look at if you look at the interest rates on a macro level, it's still at an all-time low, right? Um, in the 1980s, we saw rates at 16 17%. You definitely don't want to wait till then. Uh, do I see it going up, up that high? No. Do I see rates going up near the 6% range? Definitely, right? So I think even at 5%, you're still getting a bargain. You're still getting a deal. And, you know, people should, should start to think about leveraging some of their equity and using their properties as, as an investment vehicle, uh, but again, it's you know not size. It, it's a it's 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 not a one size fits all. So it's always a case by case, Mike. Okay, um, and now I, I I could be wrong. I heard somewhere that there was a chance that the rates were going to go up, right? Hit the fives, possibly go over fives, and then twenty twenty three when inflation kind of is curtailed, curtailed, they're going to go back down. Is that a possibility or or, or or is the inflation number not really seven and a half? It's more like 12, 14, and it, and it going back down is a pipe dream. We got no shot. It has to continue to go up to make sense, but too high recession time. Do you think there's a chance it goes back down under five again? You know, there are some folks that are saying that it could go back down. You know, the graphs are inverted again. Uh, but again, the Federal Reserve, they've already announced that they're, if they had it their way, um, they would increase rates uh, seven times, five times this year, another two times next year. And I think we've been in an, in an artificially low rate environment for so long. I think a lot of us um, hope that rates come back down. But again, for the economy's sake, I think having a healthy, steady increase in interest rates will help, right? Um, your checking account that you have in the bank, you'll get more more return, more dividends um, on your savings and things of that nature. And, and, and look, you know, we... We were in a pandemic and the government had to step in and really encourage spending, right? And, and what does that mean? By having low interest rates, people can borrow more and invest more. I think as we come out of the pandemic, you know, we need the rates to help steadily go go up and, and, and continue to increase. Because if we do see rates go back down, it just means that the economy is not recovering fast enough. So it may not be a good sign overall.
uh, Mike. So I, I think we're going to see a, a healthy, steady increase in rates and hopefully, um, you know, wage, wage earned income has been the highest we've ever seen. I think one of the key challenges is that you're seeing a lot of people in terms of uh, the workforce not really come back to work. Uh, they've made money in other ways. And I think um, that's going to be something that we need to wait to see what happens in regards to the workforce and employers trying to find um, labor, uh, labor shortages. So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I, I think a lot of folks are making money in front of their desk, you know, trading and, and doing all sorts of things right on on social media and, and technology. Web3, you have NFTs, you have crypto. There's just so many investment vehicles in today's environment that you know, there's a, believe it or not, employment uh, shortage right now. So, yep. All right. Scenario two. Um, yeah. I have investment properties, right? I'm a person who's got investment properties. I have good equity in those, right? And do I do a cash out refi on my equity and my, my investment property? Do I 1031 in this market? And for those who don't know what a 1031 tax deferred exchange, it basically is um, finding a property you want to buy and then selling your property and basically having the profits from the property go directly into the new property so it doesn't have to be taxed. But please uh, speak to your accountant about that <laughs> and, and understand Definitely. that there is timelines. Um, but do I do I do a cash out refi on my investment properties? Do, do I 1031 exchange or in this market with rents being so high, do... Um, and the interest rates going up, do I just hold on to my properties and, and keep them? So it's so a great questions, Mike. So I'll, I'll answer the first one. So um, on investment properties, not all banks will allow you to cash out. Uh, so you really have to work with the right bank, uh, do your homework, do your due diligence. And, um, you know, most of the regional banks will allow you to cash out at a certain LTV, right? Because it's investment, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a riskier asset. So they may allow you up to 70%, maybe sometimes 65% on cashing out. Now, is this the time to really go out there and find more investment properties? I believe so. Um, I, I think there's always diamond in the roughs. I think you continue to scale at this point with inflation being the way it is. I think we started this conversation by saying invest your money. And um, <clears throat> I think there's still deals to be had, Mike. In regards to 1031 exchange, I think if you're a real estate professional, and you're looking to get into the investment um, sort of, I guess, ecosystem, definitely learn about 1031 exchange. It's, it's, it, Mike said it perfectly. It's a, it's a way to defer your taxes. You can con continue doing that from asset to asset. It's just on the purchases, you need to make sure that you're buying some, a, a property that's like-kinded in terms of price or higher, right? Um, and then the last part is if you have a home and you're not quite sure on whether you want to um, continue to buy in the marketplace because you know you can't find anything because inventory is so challenging. What you may want to do is do a home equity line of credit or do a cash out, fix up your home while you still have it, right? Maybe there's renovations on your bathroom, your kitchen, just to really increase that value and continue to build wealth uh, within your own asset, right? And I think a lot of folks have done that. They're like, Ace, you know what? If I sell my home today, yes, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of appreciation. I can probably have some money sitting in the bank. Um, but then what do I do with that? Right. Because on a 1031 exchange, you only have a certain time period to identify a property and then transact. 
So that's a challenge. So they may not be able to do a 1031 exchange given uh, the inventory challenges. So a lot of folks have decided to stay put. They're going to stay in their homes, but what they're going to do is tap into their equity a little bit, do a cash out, do a home equity line of credit, and really utilize that money to reinvest in their home and fix up the two common places that really, really brings up the, the most value in your homes is really the kitchen and the bathroom. Because believe it or not, Mike, that's where most of the folks spend their time. So, so, so do you like the home equity line of credit for the homeowner or do you like the cash out refi? I, I, you know, it, it all depends. If it's a small line and you know you're going to pay it off quickly because it's a fluctuating rate, it's not a fixed rate um, and it's variable, you know, I, I, I tend to utilize the home equity line of credit for smaller sort of repairs, right? So if it's a $50,000 line, I'll, I'll probably use a line of credit. If it's something larger and I need it for an investment or I'm looking to buy another property, I'd probably go with the fixed rate, which is the refi cash out so that I know what my monthly payments are and I know what my cash flow is going to be in conjunction with the down payment along with the new mortgage for the investment property. So so let me ask you, let's say I, I say, listen, I, I got, I'm just making up a number, right? I got $200,000 yeah. worth of equity in my property. I want to do a cash out refi. So what's going to happen now in theory, right, is my, my debt is going to, I'm going to have $200,000 more now to a mortgage. Right, another mortgage right. payment on top of my mortgage. However, it's worked out. What's the? Is there a downfall to get to doing that in that? I put myself in a position now where I just added two hundred thousand dollars of essentially mortgage to my house, and if the market does take a downturn, now I really can't sell it. So let's say I I do an uh, an improvement on my house with that money, or do an investment, but then this house that I really like um, is there, and now I'm the market takes a big 20% downturn and now I'm underwater. Is, is, is that kind yeah. of the catch? So, so, so that's why you never want to over leverage, right? In speaking with a good banker or a loan officer, they'll walk you through exactly where you need to be on the loan to value. So for example, if you have a million dollar home and you owe, let's say 400,000 on the home, they'll allow you to take out 70% of that million still giving you and leaving you with that 30% equity, just in case the market takes a turn, you see a little bit of a 10, 10 to 15% pullback, you still have mm -hmm. some equity in your home, right? So the banks will definitely make sure that you're not over leveraging because of their guidelines, because you're only right. able to leverage 70%. So on a million dollars, you owe 400,000, you're able to take out 700,000 700, in total, which means an additional 300K. Right. So that's that's going to kind of keep you within your means. But I would always say, look, you know, you have to really assess. Don't take out money that you don't need. Take out the money that that you really have a, an actionable sort of um, course, course of action to follow through with. Right. Whether it's an investment property. You know, some people, if you just want something uh, for a rainy day or something on the side, that's where I say home equity line of credits are the best, Mike. Right. Because you could have a line for 150 K and not tap into it and it's just a large credit card on your home so basically you pay as you go you pay as you withdraw but you're not paying the lump sum in terms of a, as comparative to a refi cash out where if you take out the whole 300,000 and now you have a mortgage for 700k on top of your original mortgage balance of 400 now you have a little bit of a higher payment that you really need to to have a revenue stream to come in to kind of compensate for that higher loan amount
So that was that was my question. I wonder if you do have investment properties that are have great equity. Do you do the keep your investment properties, let them cash flow, be positive in it and your cash flow amount, but then use that money and equity to put into say the other another investment property. So you get to keep yours, use the equity to pull into another investment property and not tap into your house, which yeah. um, you tap into your house, you're playing with that mortgage thing. And that's still, you know, it's still value because if you do ever want to sell, then you know, that's what you're going to use. You know, you're going to make a little money on there too. Um, but you're saying not every it's, bank will do that. Yeah. I mean, look, Mike, that's the, probably the best way. Use your investment property to buy other properties, right? But what you have to make sure is the cash out that you're getting from your investment property, can that pay for the down payment along with the mortgage for the new property? You also have to take into account that on investment properties, sometimes you may want to calculate 75% of your total subject rental income because you never know. You want to you want to forecast for your property at times could be empty, right? You could have a tenant that suddenly moves out and you have that sort of six month period where you're not getting any cash flow at all. So I always say, look, you know, stay on the conservative side when you're working out your numbers, make sure that you know, whatever amount that you're getting generating in terms of the rental income on that first subject property is enough to carry both mortgages, right? If you're looking to leverage that and buy another investment property, but that's probably for another podcast, we can go pretty much investment 101, Mike, sure. and, it, and I sure. can kind of walk, walk, walk the guests and, and the listeners on, on what to look for, because there's more than just the mortgage payments, right? There's taxes, there's insurance, there's closing costs, there's repairs that you right. need to kind of build in to your cash flow. So there's a lot more to that as well. So, so let's let's kind of begin wrapping up with um, the the residential side um, right now. You mentioned yeah. that you think that there's a possible buyer's market ahead of us in the not so dear, near distant future, which this is yeah. different than three or four months ago, which was that this is gonna last forever. We got the, the real estate market is so strong, there's nothing gonna happen. And you're not saying this is a crash kind of thing. This is something that is a self-inflicted slowing down and creating almost a artificial buyer's market by raising the interest rates. How, how far in advance do you see that? And is it still a good time at that point for sellers to kind of be selling or is the problem is the rates are going to go up and it's, it's, you pick your poison, I guess. Well, well, Mike, I, I think the pandemic uh, really gave us, um, it, it, it gave us the ability to, to really understand that nothing is, is forever. Meaning if, if you told me in 2020, when we were in the height of the pandemic, that the New York marketplace, or, or for that matter, the US marketplace would have recovered within the last two years, I would have thought you were insane, right? It was right. it was pretty much right. desolate, zombie nation. Um, I was living in downtown um, during the pandemic in Tribeca, and I, I would come out and nobody would be on the streets. And they were saying, right. Ace, you know, what do you think about the real estate market? The economists were saying five to seven years recovery uh, minimum, right? And, and now, right. Two years later from that date, we've seen appreciation prices, you know, skyrocket, bidding wars, 150K over 200K, over 40, 50 people in open houses. So, you know, if, if you ask me, nobody has a crystal ball. But what I, what I can tell you is that we've seen such 
a rapid appreciation in home values, there, there needs to be a correction in the marketplace. And what I mean by that is what, whenever there's a supply and demand sort of um, environment, and right now there's very little supply, when there's more inventory that's coming into the marketplace, you're going to see a natural correction. And that's, and that's what we're going to see. It's, inev- it's inevitable, Michael, right, that the prices cannot continue to sustain uh, the way that they've had in the last two years because it's been a rapid increase and it's due to inventory challenges. But once you see more properties coming into the marketplace, you see more folks having the equity, feeling good about their properties and now putting it on. Before, there was not a lot of equity, because not a lot of transactions or not a lot of listings because people didn't have their appreciation values uh, back to where their their um, their purchase price was. And now right. you're starting to see that. And as you see more homes coming to the marketplace, you're going to start seeing more people put their homes in the marketplace because then they feel as if, okay, if I put my home in the marketplace, I have a, a pretty good shot at buying something else because there's a lot more inventory, right? So I think it's a natural um, progression. I think there will be a natural correction with rates continuing to go up because the buying power is going to be less now, for the sellers out there that are listening to this podcast and they're like, holy cow, Ace just said that my price point is going to come down. There's going to be there's going to be products where sellers can take advantage of. They can do still a seller buy down option where they can purchase uh, points for the buyer to buy down rates. And that's what happened when it was a buyer's market um, in, in a couple of years ago. Right. Right before the pandemic, where, you know, sellers were having a hard time selling their property. They were actually doing programs such as seller buy downs where they're able to purchase a certain um, percentage point on the rates to help drive that rate down and, and give the cust- uh, the buyers a lower payment. You know, there's a lot of things where, you know, you have to take into account rent versus buy today, right? Rents are at an astronomical rate right now, Mike. I mean, if you're trying to rent in the city a one bedroom, you're you're bound to pay thirty eight hundred to four grand. That's insane, Right. You can probably buy an apartment for a million dollars, one point two million, uh, with the same payment. So, I think folks need to continually assess their financial situation, um, see where they are in terms of their careers, and really figure out the best product for them. But also understand that there's a lot of vehicles and products out there that you just kind of need to know where the market is at that time, and don't get too caught up in the news, right? Um, the news, the, the news, you know, I always say it's probably the 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 best profession is to be a weather person. And the next best profession is probably an economist. Right. Because they could say all, all the things that they want. And if they're wrong, it's OK. If they're right, oh, they, they were, uh, you know, they, they were ahead of the pack. But again, you know, you, you never know. Um, but I think being close to the ground, seeing the trends today and the reason why I say I, I see the marketplace correcting and shifting to a buyer's market is that I'm a buyer myself. I sold two of my apartments at the height of the pandemic when prices were recovering. And right now I'm just staying patient. Like even though rates are going up, you know, I, I didn't want to overbid on the home prices because I'm, 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 I'm in the market and I'm in the profession. So I'm staying patient and I, I see less and less folks coming to the open houses. Right. So I think there's going to be, a time period where sellers really need to attract the buyers to come in after this whole craze of inventory challenges starts starts to die out. Now it's going to be, you know, how do we come up with creative financing? How do we make the buyers feel a little bit more comfortable on, on their monthly payments, right? So that's going to be a shift in ethos. 
and that's going to come quicker than, than than I think a lot of people realize. I think the the program that you just talked about the buyer, buyer points the the seller buys the points down. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome idea. Um, For sure. That is, is another. We're going to have you back on to talk about all these different products and these opportunities because people don't know that and they spent the last eight years not yeah. having a clue what we're talking about. Um, so, so if I hear you, and this is a quick question, the, the, the thing that starts to make everything kind of slide back to a buyer's market, is that going to be the rate ticking up or is that going to be more, um, inventory or combination? What's the, it's going to be a combination. Yep. It's going to be a, a, it's going to be a combination of both. I think rates going up to the 5% mark, uh, was a little bit of a shock. I think it went up quicker than most folks thought it would. And it's def- definitely play- playing a psychological sort of, um, uh, you know, challenge for buyers, right? Uh, they were used to uh, working on payments based off of 3% rates. Now it's at 5%. So their payment almost doubled uh, literally, literally um, in the last couple of months. So the, look, again, I still think the real estate market is prime. We're still at the lowest rate environment uh, that we've ever seen, right? We're just coming out of the low, the low of the lowest, right? right? Which was in the two point seven five percent mark, three percent mark. But look, with um, you know liquidity becoming a challenge because the Federal Reserve uh, no longer purchasing mortgage-backed securities, I think I think we're going to see a continual um, increase in rates. Um, it's going to be a, a little bit more expensive to borrow money. And I think people need to know that and educate themselves on that and, and really see the forest through the trees in terms of, hey, it's still very low. Um, don't get too caught up in what you're hearing um, on the news. And look, I always tell everybody, you never live in the price or the rate, you live in the payment. Um, so a critical point is so many folks are focused on the price. They're focused on the interest rate, but everybody has a budget and everybody works off of their cash flow right. and their monthly on payments, right? So I always encourage folks, don't get too discouraged by price. Don't get too discouraged by rate. Understand what your cash flow capabilities are and work on that ideal payment. Right, Mike? So can, that's, that's yeah. And what you're saying is if, if so, like an investment property, you soldiers, right? And you're kind of sitting on the sidelines and waiting. If you, you could sell an investment property or you could do a cash out refi, and as long as that's making enough money on its own rent or whatever you have to pay for that new mortgage, now you could sit with that cash and still own your asset. It just totally depends on what asset. It totally depends on what. But but sitting on the sideline doing nothing, the people who do nothing, they don't cash out refi, they don't have a line of credit, they don't do anything. They just kind of sit back and, I don't know, do anything with it. That's probably where you missed the boat. That's the group that you should do something with it, right? I mean, I mean, think about it, Michael. So let's say we have a property, we sell the property, we don't do a 1031 exchange. So you get tax, um, depending on your tax bracket, capital gains, right? You paid the right. seller commissions on, on the real estate agent. So at the end of the day, what are you left with? And if you're not reinvesting that money and you put it into the bank, look at what's happening now, right? With inflation, that money continues to decline. Now, if you sell it or you use that money, the proceeds to invest in another property and continue to flip and continue to invest, that's really building wealth, right? Whether you're leveraging your equity, cashing out and, and buying another property or you're selling your property, you never want to be stagnant. I, I always tell all of my friends and all of my colleagues and all of our clients, if you're in the real estate business and you're selling real estate, 
you know, you, you can never time the market. It could be a very, very good market. It could be a very down, downturn market, but you always want to be in the game. Meaning if you sold it at a cheap price and you picked it up for a cheap price, then you're still in the game. You didn't really lose anything, right? But if you sold at the low and you bought at the high and you stopped, that's when you lose, right? So it's, it's all about really just continuing to be in the game, uh, continuing to know trends, you know, listen to podcasts like this, Mike, thanks for having me. And, and really just try to educate yourself about the marketplace and trends and, and see where you fit in with, within the trend. Don't force yourself and don't chase things, but really stay patient, stay vigilant and uh, do your homework. I, I think the best, the best advice that I can give our listeners is do your homework, work with a top realtor, understand, you know, that marketplace that you're looking to invest in, you know, what, what school districts you're in, what type of job population um, that's occurring there? Are there any big corporations coming to that neighborhood? Do you see supermarkets popping up? Is it near a train station, transportation? Those are a lot of key factors in in really just making sure that your investment is sound and that it's going to continue to, to appreciate throughout the years. Ace, it's always a pleasure. We are absolutely going <laughs> to have you back on. Um, Definitely, Mike. Always a pleasure being on. Man, the listeners are going to get a treat uh, with this one. And, uh, you know, one thing they can do is um, I'll put, we'll put obviously your, your information on in the description. Guys, I mean, like, you know, follow up on these trends. Watch what's going on. Get onto newsletters. Learn about this stuff. Stay, stay in contact with the people that are the best at what they do um, and, uh, and be in the know. Ace, thank you so, so much for being on with us again. Really appreciate it, man. Michael, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Leaders of Lifestyle Podcast, Mike Ferraro. Till next time, take care. Uh-huh.